0: Week five, a covenant of honor. It would take way too much time to give you an entire recap of the entire story of David. I was talking to my mom last week because she was in the hospital this week, and thank you for your prayers again, but we were talking, and she said, how many more chapters you got in the story of David? About four or five. I said, no, we got about 38 more chapters, mom. (laughs) She goes, oh, okay. It's going to be a long series, but it would take too much time to recap everything, um, but just a very quick, quick up-to-date for those that have not been here. Um, we started out in the story in First Samuel that the first king of Israel was this guy named Saul. And Saul was found continually disobedient to God. God placed him as king, and because of his disobedient, God said, I'm sorry I ever put you as the king, so now we got to find someone else. So God spoke to this prophet named Samuel, and he says, Samuel, I want you to go to, to, to Bethlehem, and I want you to talk to this guy named Jesse, and Jesse's got some sons, and one of those sons is going to be the future king. I want you to go there, and I want you to anoint him. And when Samuel got to Jesse, he looked at all these sons because they were all beautiful, fit, warrior-like guys that were fit to be king in the eyes of men but God said Samuel I don't want you to look at the outside I want you to look at the inside and once they look through all the sons they get this guy named David from, from the shepherd fields and he is anointed as king and we talked about how anointing is not automatic you are anointed to do something but that doesn't mean you automatically walk into the calling you've got to be faithful with some things David was faithful he was a faithful shepherd he was a, he was faithful in practicing his skill as a harp player a musician he was faithful in the small things he was faithful whenever he his dad said, do something, he did it. Whenever his job called for something, he did it. He learned how to fight being a shepherd because lions and bears would come and they would try to eat the sheep and David learned how to grab him by the jaw by his hand and beat him down. I mean, this dude could fight a bear with his bare hands. He was faithful and learning and Eventually, um, he he finds uh, favor with the king Saul because king Saul, the favor of God left him and Saul was tormented by the spirit. The Bible actually says God sent him a tormenting spirit, and next week we're going to talk about what exactly that means because it's kind of this weird thing, well, why would God send a tormenting spirit? We're going to dive into that next week, and it's going to be really good. But it says God sent him a tormenting spirit, and the only thing that could calm the spirit was music. So Saul says, I need the best musician, and because of David's faithfulness, he got the call. So he comes and he plays for Saul, and every time David played, the spirit would calm down, and Saul began to love David, and Saul began to find favor, with David. Well, eventually there's this big battle and wars going throughout the entire book and really throughout most of the Bible between the Philistines and the Israelites and Saul is leading the Israelites and all of a sudden the Philistines come up and there's this huge big giant named Goliath and he starts taunting the Israelites y'all ain't got nothing, y'all too weak and Saul gets scared and the army gets scared, well one day Jesse calls up David, David and says David, your brothers on the front line they're about to fight the battle, are they hungry, can you send them some food so even though David knew his brothers didn't like him, he didn't say no they don't like me. No, I'm not gonna do that. He said, All right, so he was faithful and he goes to the front lines. And because he was at the front lines giving bread, he heard these lies, and he looks at Saul and he says, "Dude, why are y'all letting why are y'all letting these lies taunt you? Why are we even allowing this dude to talk? Let me fight him." And there was a whole conversation, but basically David fights Goliath and he kills him. He throws some st- he throws a stone at his head, makes him stumble, takes a sword out of Goliath's sheath, sheath and cuts Goliath's head off. And the reward for that, which we will get into more next week, the reward was that David got free taxes and David got a wife. Amen. It was a good deal. (laughs) So David wins this battle and King Saul was so pleased at David's faithfulness and his skill and all these things that he says, hey, send for Jesse. I want to talk to this dude. And then he says, I want David to live in the palace. Saul loves David. Well, one day Saul and David are in the streets and all these women start coming and start singing. And they're saying, oh, we love Saul. You've killed thousands. And we love David. He killed ten thousands. And instead of Saul finding joy in the praises of this dude that he allowed to get this promotion, Saul gets jealous because someone is getting more praise than him. And this same man who loved this kid moved him into the palace, this poor, dirty shepherd boy that all he knew how to do was take care of sheep and fight bears, he's jealous of him because of what he allowed him to get. And he gets so jealous that one day that tormenting spirit came and David started playing just like he always did. And then this time, instead of Saul being like, oh, thank God for the harp player, he gets a spear and throws it at David and tries to kill him. And David escapes twice. This dude is, is, is like bipolar to the max. He can't make up his mind. One moment he loves David, one moment he doesn't. It's almost like women. Can all the men say amen? <laughs> just, yeah, y'all, y'all didn't say anything because y'all know y'all get in trouble. <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. I love y'all. Saul gets jealous and he starts trying to kill him. And one day, jealousy changed Saul. So we're going to pick up where we left off in 1 Samuel 18. We read about his jealousy, and while David was playing the harp, he tries to kill him. Let's read it. 1 Samuel 18, verses 12 through 16. Saul was not afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. <clears throat> Finally, Saul sent him away, appointing him commander over a thousand men, and David faithfully led his troops into battle. Now, we talked about this last week. Saul was trying to send him away, not because he wanted to give him promotion, but because he was hoping that if he sent David into another battle, what would happen to David? He'd get killed. He was was trying to, to kind of play the cards to his favor. Verse 14, David continued to succeed in everything he did. Why? The Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. Notice why Saul was afraid. Saul was not afraid of David because he had proved to be a great leader. He was not afraid of David because he had proved to be a great warrior. Saul knew about these attributes of David the whole time. He moved him into the castle, into the palace because he saw that he was a great fighter and he he was good at everything he did. But if we read the scripture, in verse 12, it says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David. It wasn't his skills. It wasn't his attributes. It wasn't that he was seeking God. It had nothing to do with David. Saul was scared of David because he recognized something. God is with that man. Saul was afraid of what he saw. God has favor on this dude, and I know, even though I've been disobedient to God, anyone who has that kind of favor is unstoppable. Therefore, I'm afraid. And I'm backing up, I'm sending him away, I am afraid because he's got the favor of God. Proverbs 9.10, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Saul had a wisdom. If God's with you, you're stronger. If God's with you, you are unstoppable. The problem was not that Saul did not have wisdom, It's how Saul responded to that wisdom because in wisdom he understood that that, that, that he had a fear of God. Oh my gosh, God has got his hand on this dude. I can't stop him. He may overthrow me one day. He had the wisdom. He was fearing the Lord, but his response was evil. Instead of blessing him, instead of pouring into him, instead of trying to push him forward because he had favor, what he tried to do was take him out. What you do with the foundation, what, what do you do with the foundation of wisdom of having fear of the Lord? Because there's so many of us that have what we call fear of God. We have the wisdom, but we don't do anything right in our lives and we don't respond with it. We have this fear that oh, God is, is loving and God is all knowing and and God's gonna let people some people join in heaven and some people won't they'll they'll, they'll be in hell because of uh, of sin and accepting Him as we, we, we get that. Yet our lifestyle shows that we really have no fear of Him. And maybe you do, maybe you do have this awe-inspiring, wow, God is all-powerful. But do you fear Him to the point that every single decision you make is out of fear of the Lord? Fear of not having favor on your life because God says this is how it is. Where is your fear? Where is the honor of that fear? Because the greatest wisdom... And every single decision you would ever make is am I making this decision in fear that I might not have the favor of God on my life because he set a certain standard and he set a certain way. You know, Marty kind of mentioned it, and I know I talk about it all the time, so please don't rebuke me, but tithing. Your inability to tithe is an indication of how much you really don't fear God. Because you are worried about finances, but you can't tithe, and yet you're saying, I love God, but you don't fear Him, therefore you are not running your life in wisdom. You're an idiot. Did God just call me an idiot? Yes. Because the fear of the Lord is wisdom. If you don't have wisdom, you're dumb. We we, we talked about the stones last week. We have these stones of, of prayer and fasting and biblical devotion to the word of God that is truth. And we say, oh, I love God, but do you fear him? Do you fear him to the point that you make decisions off of what he is? Saul made a decision. He got fear. He was like, oh, crap. He's got favor of God. Let me try to kill him. Are we at this place where when we see the favor of God or the anointing that God has on the people, we fear him to such a degree where we say, I am all in because I'm more scared of walking forward without your hand on me than I am trying to do it myself. Where is the honor and the fear of what God has put in front of us? He has given a book of instruction to have the most successful lives. How much do you fear it? Saul got it. He was like, this dude seeks God and lives it out. He took down a giant with his bare hands and a pebble. He took his own sword that David probably couldn't half lift and chopped the dude's head off. And no matter what Saul did, the people kept praising David. And Saul didn't say, wow, that that, that guy was really good. He knew he was good. His skill was no surprise to Saul. What Saul finally had a revelation of was this. That dude has got the favor of God, and I am scared of that. Where is our fear of God anymore? Where is our fear of of missing out on favor because he says, here is how you manage your life best in the kingdom. The worst thing that has ever happened to us as Americans is that we have fallen in love with democracy because with democracy, it's your vote counts. But let me tell you something. In the kingdom, your boat does not matter. I get so sick and tired of when we're talking about God. Well, I just think that that's not it. There is no opinion of truth. There's truth and there's not. There is no middle ground. If you cannot back up your opinion with scriptures, multiple scriptures, you are speaking out of the voice of the devil. It's one way, one truth, and one life. Why have we not honored the fear of living life out of that covering? You're either in it or you're not. And Saul was scared to death because he was like, David's got it and I don't. Your inability to cut sin and filthiness out of your life indicates how much you fear him. 2018 was one of the most toughest years for me because it seemed like I could not get out of certain things. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You're in this place where this temptation comes and it's hard to fight it, it's hard to resist it. And what finally got my breakthrough with all the things coming against me was simply this Kyle do you really fear God? And when that question started coming to my my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't. Where is my love for him? Why have I fallen out of love with Jesus? There's got to come a point where we honor the fear of how great God is so much that we make some tough decisions. We're either in or we're out. We're either under him or we're not. And if we're not under the covering of God and we're not under the favor of God, then you either make changes or you stay out. Because God's jealous. The Bible says he is a jealous God. He's jealous of your thoughts. He's jealous of your time. He's jealous of your mind. He's jealous of where your eyeballs look. He's jealous of what your ears hear. All he wants you to hear is, 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 is the praises of angels singing and encouragement. He says, prophets are those who give encouragement because all he wants you to hear is encouragement. Yet we give our ear to gossip. Do you fear God so much that you get out of that? Do you fear God so much that you won't look at that thing on the TV? Do you fear God so much that you say, I'm no longer gonna paint a gray area based off of my opinion, I'm all in. Are we going to get to this place in our kids' life where we stop letting our children look at things on TV because, oh, they're pretty and that's a pretty story when, in fact, you're exposing your kids to sorcery? But, 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 but then we get in all our American thing and, and we go, oh, well, it's okay because it's just fairy tale. But your kids are not smart enough yet or they don't have the discernment yet to, to, to separate it. Do you fear God in those decisions? Do you fear God in everything you do? You know, I see the attendance, and it actually encourages me that it's getting a little a little tighter. Because I would rather build a family who sets a standard that we're not moving from than making the standard gray to attract crowds. I am not scared to say certain things in this pulpit because I fear God more than your opinion. I fear God more than you complaining that we're not having like a certain amount of time in the service so you can plan your day to go eat. The disciples literally sat at the feet of Jesus for hours and when Kyle preaches past 35 minutes, I get complaints. Shut up, you're not hungry. Or maybe I'm just boring. It could go either way. And, and some of this, I'm joking a little bit. I'm trying to get y'all to laugh. But there, there, there's, there's, there is a degree of we've got to set a standard. We've got to set a standard in our lifestyle. Are we for him or are we against him? Are we, in, are we in this or are we not? How much do we fear him? How much do we fear being out of this covering? And how much do we fear him to the point where we say, yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in that game? Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? God is for you. And if God's for you, no one can be against you. But that does not come easily just with grace. Let me paint a clear picture of what grace does. Grace gives you access It does not excuse you for your opinion of sin. Grace has nothing to do with saying you can live like you want because Jesus loves you. Grace says, because I have loved you with my grace, you can access me even though you never deserved it. Grace says, you get to join me even though you're not worthy to sit at my table. But every disciple, and this man David had the very same thing in common. They left everything. And this has got to be the standard of relentless church. We are a relentless people who set the standard that we are willing to leave everything behind in the pursuit of God. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to go. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm bold enough to say we've got to set the standard. We have got to start saying we are no longer going to accept anything less than the fear of God in our lives. That this is what God says this is where we're going. We're not going to build something to appease to people. We're not going to build something that gets people to say, I had a nice time at church. No, you should leave flipping offended. You should leave thinking, wow, Kyle's a jerk, but I've got to change some things. Like the biggest praise, like when we're done with the service, please, I hope someone comes up to me and says, dude, you're a jerk, but thank you. I hope I get that tonight because there's got to be a time I know Devin will give that to me but we we got to we got to get to a place where we set the standard. How did David get that favor? How did David live out this truth if God's for us who can be against us? We can find it in Matthew 22, 37. Jesus replied, "You must lord the God, you must you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The level of favor in the form of God being for you hinges on not just falling in love with the idea of God, But fearing God so much that you love him with your mind. That every time a thought comes in that is opposite of God, you don't sit and ponder on it. You get it out. Anything that you give ear or eye to that makes you start to think anything less of God, you get it out. Anything that you have allowed in your life to take the place of Him getting glory, you get it out. It's setting a standard to say, I am going to honor this covenant that God made with me. He told me to sacrifice everything, bear the cross and follow him. I'm either going to do it or I'm not. And I fear him so great that I'm going to get in this favor by getting all this junk out my mind and running for him. Am I talking to anybody? understanding i can't just do the things anymore that makes me laugh or makes me feel good sometimes we got to understand that our calling as people of god is sometimes going to be absolutely miserable but you delight in the joy set before you not in the crux of the moment cuz sometimes the biggest things that are going walking into joy is you've got to be miserable in a transition and that's hard to swallow cuz we don't like being miserable And I guarantee you, most believers, every time we fall to sin, is we get miserable so we don't depend on God anymore, and we compromise. Because we want that feeling of, oh, I'm accepted. I'm accepted by this man. I'm accepted by this woman. I'm accepted by this feeling. I'm accepted by this drink. We always compromise because God being for me is not enough. In that moment, you had less fear of God. You had more fear of being alone you have more fear of feeling miserable. We've got to get to a place where he is the only thing we fear, being apart from him, being being less than enough for him, setting a standard. David has so much favor because all he did was he remained faithful. The dude Saul got so jealous of his success that he throws a spear at him twice and tries to kill him. And in that moment, David was not the typical American. He didn't say, well, he's trying to take me out, so I'm going to leave, and I'm going to rebel, and I'm going to talk bad about him, and I'm going to find reasons as why I shouldn't be here, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You know what David did? David said, God's placed me here, and I'm going to honor this covenant. You tried to kill me, but I'm still your servant. David got it. He said, do I fear Saul trying to kill me or do I fear not having your favor, God? Where do you want me? And God said, serve the man who tried to kill you. Serve the man who tried to take you out. Serve the man who you think is against you. And David said, okay. Because he had a fear of God more than a fear of Saul. Going back to the very first part, of 1 Samuel 18, I want you to see what this favor of God, the the fear of God bringing this favor, this is what it does for David. Look at verse 1 through 3. After After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them for Jonathan loved David. And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and would not let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David. He made a covenant because he loved him as he loved himself. Now, what were the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jonathan made a pact because he loved David as much as he loved himself. Now, to understand how big of a deal this is, I want to paint a picture of Jonathan. Jonathan. Okay? Not the Jonathan we know who plays drums and, and bass, but like a good Jonathan, like like a like an amazing Jonathan. <laughs> Let me paint you a picture of Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of King Saul. Do you know what the son of a king is called? A prince. This is Prince Jonathan. Prince Jonathan, that sounds so weird, has the right to the throne. In the way a kingdom works, the oldest son of the king, when the king dies, he gets the throne. So Jonathan, who has every right to become the next king, sees David. He recognizes something in David. He's been watching David serve his dad for years. He's been watching David uh, calm his dad when he plays the harp. He's watching David conquering giants. And all of a sudden, when he moves, when this, when this shepherd boy moves into his palace, instead of getting jealous like his dad, he says, there is something great about David. And he said, I'm going to make a solemn pat with you. I love you. As much as I love myself. What is about himself? He has every right to take the throne. He is royalty. He wears robes of of, of royal uh, demeanor. He walks in authority. And he says, I love your nothingness as much as I love my greatness. So let me make a pact with you. And look what happens in verse 4. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. He dressed David in his own princely royal robes, a future king's robes, and his weapons, and he gave it to this undeserving shepherd boy. Jonathan says, that man is is, is, is more worthy than me. That man who has no right to take the throne, I'm going to make a pact. I'm going to make a prophetic honoring covenant with you, and I'm going to dress you in robes that you never had the ability to wear. In other words, Jonathan recognized that this boy who just moved into my house is going to take the throne that I deserve, and I'm totally okay with it. Well, Kyle, why do you think Jonathan thinks of David as kingly? we got to look at what Jonathan's robes meant. Because as a prince, they weren't just any robes. Wherever he walked in the streets, when people saw that robe coming, they didn't have to see Jonathan's face. When they saw the robes, when they saw what he wore, they saw authority, they bowed to it, they submitted to it. When he wore that robe, the privileges and authority of royalty were on him. And when he dressed David in it, They didn't have to see if it was David or Jonathan. When he walked into the room with the robes, every bit of authority that he ever needed was on him. He didn't have to earn anything else at that point. He was dressed in what he was destined to be. Now in the last series, The Worshipping Church, I talked to you about there was one man once a year that got to enter into the presence of God. That man was the high priest. And we know now that Jesus is now our high priest. What's interesting about that high priest, and I encourage you, if you don't remember the message, go listen to it, there were certain things that he had to put on to make himself worthy of getting in the presence. There was a single piece of cloth that was sky blue. This is a review. It hung down in the front and back to his feet. There was an opening that was round and the hem was doubled over and it was closed and it would not tear because back in those days it was custom when there was a loss you would tear the garments off. This thing could not be torn off. This garment was holy. It was sacred. It was never to be torn. It represented a finished work and the person wearing it was graced as righteous. When that person wore that robe he had right standing to walk into the presence of God. That garment Was a robe. The same robe that Jonathan was placing on David. The high priest also wore another piece of garment. It was long sleeves and fine linen. The only people who wore long sleeves were ones that didn't have to perform manual labor. People wearing that garment were not even allowed to do anything that made them swept. The work that he would ever have to do was finished. You know what that was called? It was a tunic. Jonathan in the scripture says, I'm giving you my robe. I'm giving you my tunic. You are dressed in royalty. You have the right to be king. And I'm giving you something that says you have no more work to do because I am making a covenant of honor with you that no matter what happens, you are going to take what was rightfully mine. And that is your place as the king. There was another part of these priestly garments that tied everything together, unifying all the garments, making sure that all these garments, you you couldn't pick and choose what you wore. You had to wear all of the pieces. You know what it's called? It was a sash or a belt. Well, it was a scripture. Jonathan said, here's my robe, here's my tunic, and here's my belt. You do not get to choose whether or not you're royalty or not, David. You are. You are. I am making this covenant with you that you are wearing these robes of righteousness, this tunic of no more work having to be done, and a belt symbolizing that it is all tied together. This shepherd boy who had no right to wear this stuff, just because of faithfulness in everything and fearing God, got promoted to a place where the dude that was destined to the throne said, here. Here's the robe, here's the tunic, here's the belt. I'm reading a scripture in Isaiah 61.10. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. He has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and has draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. When you come up under the salvation that is in Jesus, you get robes put on you that you never had a right to wear. Do you understand the only one that ever had the right to wear those robes was Jesus? And just as Jonathan sacrificed everything to give to David, Jesus says, I'm stepping off my throne, I'm coming to this world, I am dying for you so that you can now put on robes that you were never allowed to wear. And yet we still have a problem honoring a covenant and fearing God. He made a way for you to wear things that you were never allowed to. A garment saying that you are right with God no matter how much you do. And yet we can't fear him enough to set a standard of living. 1 Peter 2, 9-10 through says, you're not like that, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God because he called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. Jesus says, why are you not wearing your new identity in me? Once you were not a people, you were in in darkness, and now I'm calling you as mine. I'm taking you out of the shepherd's fields and putting you in the royal kingdom of God. All I'm asking, let me put my favor on you so you can do amazing things. Jesus says, you're going to do things that I never could do. He says, all I want for you is to have favor. But the way you get favor is you've got to fear me above everything. That's all David did. There was a lot of skilled warriors. There was probably a lot of good shepherds. All he did was say, do I rebel against this man trying to kill me, or do I serve him? Because I fear God more than that man. When was the last time you honored someone that did you wrong? And you justify the fact that you've never honored them because of what they did to you. Because you fear your pride more than you fear God. If God is for me, who can be against me? If God's for you, do you think saying I forgive you or not saying it is going to somehow protect you more than God? That's what we do. Things are done to us and we won't forgive and we hold bitterness and we put up a wall and we won't let people in and we think that we're actually doing ourselves with justice. And God says, love them as yourself, forgive them, I've got you but we don't really fear that because we want everything in our hand. We, We make this honoring covenant with God saying, God, I love you. I'm accepting you as mine. I'm living for you. But we live a life that is totally opposite of that divine covenant that we made. And you're wondering why things are falling apart. You're wondering why we're not seeing favor. You're wondering why the city is so full of sin? I mean, I, I was with um, my brother last night. We were having some um, boneless wings down at Wild Wings and downtown, and we were sitting out there, and we were just kind of watching, and we were having a conversation like, man, all these people enjoy and find joy in all the sinful activity but is it really different from the church? Because we come here, we hear a sermon, but most of us go home and we don't do a thing. We don't live any way like it. We we dress in filth. We dress in obscurity. We're having arguments about abortions and and homosexuality and alcohol and, and all these things. And God simply says this, fear me and do what I say. Maybe we should stop fighting issues. Maybe we should stop, stop trying to prove a point of our opinion and just start living up under exactly what he calls you to do. The best thing you can do is not prove his point. The way you prove his point is you live his point. You can be the most intellectual, smart guy and say whatever you want. But if all they see is hypocrite, they're never going to receive truth. How did they receive truth with Jesus? Jesus. They couldn't argue about anything he did because he was perfect. They, they even tried. They're like, man, what you got? You, I mean, I mean you, you're fake. You're not doing anything. And he's like, all right, well, dead man, get out of the grave. Done. Can't uh, the, 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 this, this paralyzed person, oh, stand up. He lived it. But we still live paralyzed in our sin. We still live blinded by all this stuff we're surrounding ourselves with because we won't, fear God enough to set a standard. Can we be a church that sets a standard? Can Can we be a church that sets a standard? Because this is where churches miss it. you got some churches that set no standard and grace everything, and then you have churches over here who set a very biblical standard, but they do it without love. I want to be the church that sets a very high standard of this is how much we fear God. But if you're not there, we love you so much that we're not going to separate from you. We're going to embrace you and we're going to break bread with you and we're going to get to know you and we're going to pour out wisdom and you are going to your your lifestyle is going to change not because of what you hear in a sermon, but because of the love of this family. You see, I I really have a vision for for, for what relentless is supposed to be because the church is not supposed to be you get saved off of a good sermon. The sermon should be how do we train the saints of God to go live so that they will come up under the conviction of their sin based off of your example. Not this condescending get saved because you're going to burn in hell. That's truth, but I don't want people to to, to, to just fear where they're going. I want them to fear the fact that they don't have the favor of God in their lives and they're miserable. Let me show you what this favor looks like, but do they see favor on you? Do they see that you fear God more than you fear your wants or, or, or the lack of what you want not showing up? Jonathan gave David all the robes, all the, the tunic, the belt. And then he gives him a, a belt, I mean, a sword and a bow. The sword represented strength. The bow represented a nation's power and ability. In other words, Jonathan wasn't just giving him authority. He's saying, I've got your back. I want to see you raised to my rank. I want you to see. Jonathan was a very skilled bow and arrow guy. I don't know what you call that. Arch, archer, archer. Bow and arrow guy I like better. He said, I'm I'm giving you, I I want you to be better than me. I want you to take what I have. Because I see favor on you. And you deserve it. Not because of your skill, not because of your looks, not because of your abilities, but because all I see when I look at you is favor. You went from a field to living in the palace. By just fearing God, and because he got all this commitment, David would receive all the honor, all the importance, all the promotion. He, the Bible says, he just kept going up. All he did was fear God. (laughs) See what happens in in life is that we don't want to give up our rights. We don't want to give up our desires we think we have a right to pick and choose who's in our circle. We think we have a right to choose who's in our friendships. You don't have the right to choose that. You know who does? God. Because maybe God wants a friend that you don't benefit from. Let me say that again. Maybe God wants to put a relationship in your life that you don't benefit from. The reason they're there is because God says, I've got something in you that needs to be deposited in them. But while you deposit it in them, don't break the standard of living to appease their situation. Pour into them and fear me while you're doing it. Because see, that's where the mixture happens in life. We recognize God has sent someone that does not live for him in my life and we there's this line of standard and we want to we give and we want to give and we want to pour and then when we see it's not working, what we start doing is we go, well, I'll, I'll come with you this time because I want to be light in darkness. I'll, I'll, I'll do this one thing this time so that I can show you the love of God and before you know it, you have totally walked out of favor and you're wondering why your friends are not getting saved. Because they don't see God, they see you. Is this a powerful message? Is this speaking to anyone? There, there. We have got to honor this covenant. Y'all, he... He, he, is, he is that worthy and that deserving of a people who all we care about is being at his feet and saying, Jesus, I want you and I love you and I don't care if I make another dollar in my life. I don't care if I own a house. I don't care if I own a car. All I care is I'm serving you. That's it. And the thing is, the crazy thing is, and we know this, he says, if you have that mindset, All these things that you need will be added. But we sacrifice in the fear because we're we're scared of losing the things we need. Let's be honest. In 2019, you need a car. Well, God says, if you need the car for what I'm doing with you, I'll give it to you. But maybe you don't, I don't want you to have a car right now and I need you to be faithful in this season. M- 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 and then maybe you move on and, and you get the car and, and now you're, you're focused on this next thing and God says, I'll add it because I know you need it. But are, are you getting it because you're seeking me or are you trying to fight for it yourself? Where's the fear? Where's the, where's the honoring of this covenant? He says, I'll give you everything you need. I'm preparing a promised land for you. It's slow milk and honey. I'm taking care of it. I'm giving it rain. I'm giving it seasons. I'm making sure the ground is fertile. I'm, I, I've got your tomorrow taken care of. Do you fear me enough to honor that I simply want you to, to worship me in misery? To worship me in uncomfortable places? Colossians 3 says in verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you've got to clothe yourself with tender heart and mercy. You've got to clothe yourselves with kindness. You've got to clothe yourselves with humility and gentleness and patience. You've got to make allowance for each other's faults. You've got to forgive anyone who, if anyone, you don't have the right to choose who you forgive. You surrendered that right when you came up under the covenant of honor with God. You, you, you You don't get to choose. Stop being proud to be an American and start, and start being proud to be a kingdom citizen. You should love the fact that you don't get to choose. Because you want me to be really honest with you? Not getting to choose is a lot easier to live by. Because you no longer call the shots. You say yes to the shots. <laughs> like there, there's no longer, I don't know what I should do. I don't know what I should do in this moment. Good. You don't have the right to choose. The only right you have now as a kingdom citizen of God is to say, well, what you want, man? Well, forgive the boss. Forgive the friend. Forgive the backstabber. Forgive the mom. Forgive the dad. Forgive the stepdad. Forgive, 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 forgive. Make allowance. Forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. It binds us together in perfect harmony. No one should ever question the fact if you love them or not. That's a true church. And I know I struggle with that and I'm trying to get better at it but no no one should ever question the fact if I love them or not. And I just feel like God has been telling me lately Kyle, the best way for people to know that you love them is to surrender yourself to whatever they need and and you do whatever I tell you to do for them. And he says, and Kyle, I know what you need and if you would just wrap yourself, yourself up in their needs I'll add it unto you because no one should ever second guess that. Perfect harmony is perfect love. Perfect love casts out fear. The the, the, the Bible says that a small family will be turned into a mighty nation. It's not hard to figure out. You know what the thing that I've really noticed over successful churches versus unsuccessful churches? Whether it's a church of 20,000 or a church of 200, a great church is defined by one thing with everyone, they feel loved. And churches who are falling apart, bicker. They, 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 they pick at each other over the stupidest things. I don't know why we're doing this. I don't know why we're doing that. I don't do it. just, can, we, can we just fall in love? Can we fear God that much or we love each other no matter what? Like no matter what? Do you love your neighbor enough to tell them the truth even though it might offend them? Am I talking to anybody? Honor, the covenant of honor is not just about I respect you. It's I love you too much to see you stay and I love my God too much to see me stay. I have got to set a standard for myself. I've got to start living this out. Can I keep going? You don't have a choice, so... Deuteronomy 7, nine. understand therefore that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations. He lavishes his, his unfeeling love on those who love and obey his commandments. He says, I'm making a covenant with you and I will lavish my love and I will pour out anything that needs to be poured out for those who love and obey my commands. It's not just, oh, God's going to pour out his love. No, he pours out his love on those who obey and who don't criticize having to, well, I just, I don't don't like having to do this. That's not loving the command. (laughs) Psalm 103, 17, but the love of the Lord remains forever for those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are Faithful. Salvation is extended to people who are faithful to the covenant. You don't get to just turn your back on God and think that you're still covered by grace. It's extended to those who obey and who love and who are faithful. This is tough stuff, but it's right here. Exodus 19.5, if you obey me and keep my covenant, if you obey me and if you keep my covenant, you'll be my treasure from among all the peoples for all the earth belongs to me. He says, I own everything. I'll make you a treasure, but you got to obey me and you got to keep my covenant. Hebrews 9.15, that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins that they committed under the first covenant. He says, I love you so much, I've sent a mediator to make sure that even though you messed up the first covenant, you have every opportunity to get the covenant still by the grace of my son who died for you. But it's still the same. You get when you honor. You get when you obey. We've got to honor the covenant that God made. And it's simply this. I love you. I bought you. Can you please wear these robes? Stop leaving them in your Bible. Stop leaving them in your prayer closet. Stop leaving them at church and start wearing the robe because the covenant is that you will look like him and be like him and walk in absolute authority. Wouldn't you love a day where you don't have to bow to depression and anxiety and fear and worry? You know how? Wear the robes. He knows what you need. Wear the robes. Every single one of us, including myself, myself, has something that we need to surrender to God. That could be the very thing of the breakthrough that you need for perfect peace. Because he says, I'll pour it out if you obey, if you are faithful. 1 John 4.20, if someone says I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. If we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? God, God says, how can you love me and hate that person? Leviticus 19.18, don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, Tyler, but love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. You see, Jonathan didn't sit there and start getting revenge or bearing a grudge against David. He, he wasn't like, man, I can't believe you're taking my place. Jonathan didn't start listing his stuff. Well, I've served my dad, the king, and I grew up under his house, and I obeyed this, and I did that. He didn't start bearing a grudge because he saw David have promotion. He simply said, man, dude, you've got a got favor here. He delighted in another man's promotion. You know how we're going to create true intimacy within the church of God? Delight in each other's promotion. I'm going to issue out some big challenges today. We support ministries every week. And these ministries give me reports every week. We feed the homeless, and I'm guilty of this too. I'm putting myself in this category. We feed the homeless every Sunday, and there's never more than three people there. We leave, we leave Bible studies with recovering drug addicts and alcoholics, and this church revels more in Todd's story than helping someone else build a story. We talk about going in the streets and no one shows up for street teams. It's me too. Because I like to say, well, I've had a long week and I've been working on the pooler build and I've been doing this, and I've been doing that. And God today, I was just sitting and God's like, what right do you have? What right do you have to skip out anything I've called you to do? Now, I'm not saying everyone's called to all these things. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I am saying you are called more than just the thing that brings you money. And you are called more than just come to a service. Clothe yourself in the robe of righteousness and find out where you're supposed to walk into. Because you're supposed to start walking somewhere. Maybe it's your serving in a ministry in this church, maybe it's your volunteering and outreach. Maybe you've got to get to teach Bible study and it's time to do it. Maybe you have a passion for prayer and it's time for you to stop waiting for the church to have a prayer service and start saying, hey, can we just like get together at my house and pray? Like we've got to become a people who are saying, man, I fear God more than than, than than waiting on Relentless to organize it. Because here's the thing, like Relentless is not Kyle and the leaders. Relentless is us. If there's a lack and you see it, I guarantee you it's because you see something someone else doesn't and God's waiting for you to speak it. Because if we're all called to be joined together, you see stuff that I can't see. And while some of you may be complaining about me, trust me, I see stuff that you don't see that I'm making sure you never see. We're all all in this together. When are we going to start honoring this covenant and say, man, I fear God more than I fear losing my spare time. I fear God more than I fear losing me time. I just want to jump in this thing. Some of you, your biggest breakthrough will be pouring into someone else's ministry, someone else's calling, someone else's passion. That's what Jonathan did. He said, like, Hey, David, here's everything I have here. And some of us were stuck. You're saying, God, get me out, God, get me out, God, promote me, God, promote me. And God's like, I'm waiting for you to help someone else's promotion. Because it's more than just about you. This is the kingdom of God. This is the, the destiny of heaven on earth. And we're all called to pull it down. We're all called to walk in this divine calling together, together, together. I'm going to close with a scripture in Romans 12, 1. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he's going to find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. The best way we can honor God's covenant of grace and love and sacrifice and mercy in his blood is one thing sacrifice everything and worship him fear him enough where you say I know that I'm not going to be able to go forward without you God so I'm going to delight in your commands I'm going to delight in your steps I'm going to delight in whatever you tell me to do because I never want to get out of your presence I never want to get out of your graces God I never want you to look at me and say what you said to Saul I'm sorry I ever put him there God, Amen. in. I'm honoring this covenant. And from this moment on, my life and everything in it is yours.